Chapter 13 Ninanaba Leaving Life as She Knew It Ninanaba knew she was making leadership difficult for her husband, but he also understood her plight. Ever since her son had told her his oldest sister, Dedyajanazba, was alive, Ninanaba had wanted to see her daughter. Many times Ninanaba asked Hashkehilnaba to take her to see her daughter. Shijabajanshilta'ash, take me to see my daughter, was her daily request. Ninanaba wanted to touch her daughter's hair. She wanted to give her daughter the new rug dress she had woven for her, and she wanted to give her daughter the new moccasins her father had made for his granddaughter. Ninanaba also wanted her husband by her side when her eyes met the eyes of her grandson. Hashkehilnaba was by her side when she greeted her own children. It was only natural that they greet their grandchild together and tell him he was a Nabeho, Navajo, and also greet him in the name of his two clans. Hashkehilnaba was eager to see his daughter and his grandson too, but he was a prominent war leader. He could not make a swift decision to go to the fort of the enemy. He was supposed to stand and fight, protect his people, and lead his warriors. Hashkehilnaba decided to hold a meeting to discuss his role as a father, a husband, and a Nadani, leader of war. At the leader's meeting, Hashkehilnaba found many of the Nabeho leaders in various areas of Dinetra, Navajo land, were going to surrender to the white soldiers. It saddened him to hear that many Nabeho people had surrendered to the soldiers because Kit Carson and his soldiers had destroyed most of their crops by fire late in the summer. The soldiers had also shot and killed thousands of sheep, goats, horses, cows, and mules belonging to the Nabeho, and then left the animals to rot. If that was not enough hatred expressed by the white soldiers, Kit Carson and his men then threw the rotting and decaying carcasses of the livestock into watering holes to turn the sweet, nourishing water into poisonous ponds. The Nabehua people depended upon the watering holes for their very existence and the existence of their livestock. The hateful acts of the soldiers in the early fall season caused many Nabehua to assume that the winter was going to be an extremely difficult and cold one. Many Nabehua homes had been destroyed by fire or were dismantled by the soldiers. Hashkehilnaba felt torn. He was torn between his love of his land and his people, the people he had promised to protect. His people were scared, hungry, cold, tired of running, and wanted some rest. He did not hold weakness against his people who had left their homes to join the other Nabeho who had surrendered at Fort Defiance 
briefly known as Fort Canby. Having attended another leadership gathering, Hashkehil Naba learned that the land set aside for the Nabeho at Fort Sumner was a land with plenty of water. It was also a land that was warm in the summer and cool in the winter. The land had no enemies among the Nabeho who lived anywhere near the reservation, and if an enemy came near, it was reported that the soldiers would protect the Nabeho people. The soldiers told the Nabeho leaders their people would have enough land on the new reservation to raise their own corn, beans, squash, and potatoes, and the people would have plenty to eat. The soldiers further told the Nabeho people that the bad Nabeho people, the ones raiding and stealing, would be kept at Fort Sumner as prisoners of war, but the peaceful Nabeho men, women, and children would be kept at Fort Defiance for their own protection. The leaders were told all warfare against the Nabeho would be stopped when the people surrendered and protection from the soldiers would begin immediately upon surrendering. Hashkehilnapa was shocked when he heard that noted Nabeho leaders were urging their people to surrender to the white soldiers. The most noted of all war leaders, Kastkinj il Manuelito, refused to surrender and instead decided to take the Nabeho people, those who were sick, old, and very young, and women who were pregnant or were nursing their little ones toward the Grand Canyon to keep them safe there. He knew this group of people would not be able to walk to Fort Defiance, nor would they survive being forced to walk to Fort Sumner. Manuelito had made an agreement with the Gohnina, Havasupai people, the Bitsi'ishtliji, Indian people who lived in the Grand Canyon. At Manuelito's request, the Gohnina people agreed to protect and shelter Manuelito's people. Manuelito promised his people that once they became strong again, he would accompany them to Fort Sumner to be reunited with their family members. Chastin Barbancito, the great peace leader, had decided to surrender to the soldiers so he could accompany his people to protect them on their track toward the east and onward to Fort Sumner. Barbancito was a noted orator. Nabejo leaders knew he could protect his people with his words. Hashkehneni, the warrior who distributes scoldings, the great war leader refused to surrender. He decided to stay in his own country near Natsis on Navajo Mountain. He had become a witness to the careless hate the soldiers displayed for Nabeho livestock, so he vowed to keep his livestock hidden so as to increase his herd of sheep, horses, cows, and goats. Hashkehneni knew the strength of his Nabeho people. He knew many would return from Fort Sumner, and when his people returned, 
the people would meet livestock. The great war leader also vowed to grow an abundance of corn in the narrow valleys of Navajo Mountain in preparation for the return of the Navajo people from Fort Sumner. The great peace leader Tuotsohni Hastin Ganado Mucho had great herds of cattle. In being a witness to the starvation that the Navajo people were experiencing because of Kit Carson's hateful campaign, Ganado Mucho agreed to accompany his people to the new reservation at Fort Sumner. His plan was to supply his people with meat. Instead, the soldiers confiscated his cattle and kept the herd to feed the many soldiers at Fort Sumner, leaving no meat for the Nabehua people for whom the cattle were intended. Hashkehilnaba felt the need to accompany his own people. Ganado Mucho and Barboncito were known as peace leaders, and a balance was needed. Even though the new reservation was supposed to be a place where the people were to remain peaceful, Hashkehilnaba felt the need to protect his people. Hashkehilnaba sent messengers to the leaders in his area to announce a meeting in which he would declare that he intended to find his daughter, who was being held at the fort in the Green Meadow, Fort Defiance. The messengers were also to tell the Nabehu leaders of their leader's desire to go with his people to the place the soldiers had set aside for them. Ashkehilnaba wanted to gather as many of his people as he could so more would survive. His heart hurt when he heard that some women were killing themselves and their children so they would not be tortured to death by the Anae enemy scouts and the soldiers. He could not stand by and hear about the women killing themselves and their children but he knew and understood their desperation. Ninanabat's father refused to attend the meeting Hashkehilnaba had organized. He thought it was foolish to leave the land within the four mountains, the land that was given to them. The old man told his children and his grandchildren to stay in Dinetra, Navajo land, and not join the others on their way to the fort. He knew it was a place full of evil. When they were alone, Egonapa told his father he was going along to help protect his mother and his sister-in-law and his adopted siblings. My father, I will follow in your footsteps. Right alongside you, I will protect my mother and my sister-in-law and her adopted siblings. As you make plans for our people, I will protect our people. Hashkehilnaba was greatly encouraged by the words of his youngest son and responded by hugging his son close 
and saying, Thank you, my son, my baby. I will be encouraged by your words, and I will be encouraged by your presence. I love you, my little one. I love you too, my father, responded Egonaba with a heart full of admiration for his father. Once again, father and son hugged one another as love passed from one to the other through their close hug. Hashkehilnapa felt strengthened by the words of his youngest son. The words meant that he had the faith and support of his son. To prepare for leaving with his people for the place where their daughter was being held captive, Hashkehilnapa sought approval from Nananaba by saying, We will butcher some of your sheep. The meat will be made into jerky. That is what we will survive on as we move as a group to the place of the soldiers. That is why they, sheep and goats, are being cared for, replied Nananaba excited that she would be seeing her son and her daughter and her grandson soon. Forcing herself to think of their leaving their home, she asked, My father will herd our livestock to the leader they call the warrior who distributes scolding, right? Yes, that is where our livestock will be cared for until we come back here, was Hashkehilnaba's thoughtful reply. With his wife's approval, Hashkehilnaba told his family and his people in the Black Mesa area to butcher some of their sheep and to make jerky to last them many months. The goats were to be spared because they were needed for the milk they produced. While they were waiting for the meat to dry, the people were to grind as much corn as possible and fill pots with the ground corn. Hashkehilnapa asked various ones to gather many herbs for the illnesses they would have to face on their way to Fort Defiance. He also told his people to hide corn and other valuables in caves and hiding places near their homes for when they are released from Fort Sumner. The people filled many bags with jerky. When all the preparations had been completed, the people were ordered to take only what they were able to comfortably carry on their back. Even down to the children, they will also need to be carrying an item 
that you consider useful in caring for your family. Allow them to carry only what they are capable of carrying. Hashke Yishnapa instructed the parents. Hashke Yishnapa ordered the men he employed to gather a few of his horses and cattle, as well as Nananabats, sheep and goats, and joined them at the base of Zithajin, Black Mesa, to the south near the Kinyasani Hopi territory. The Kinyasani had always been generous with their supply of water and were friendly toward Hashkehishnapa. Nananaba had time to think while they were waiting for more families to arrive. Nananaba was torn between her father and her husband. She had always wondered in the back of her mind when she would have to choose between the two men. Her father had raised her and had been her favorite parent, but on the other hand, her husband had given her children. In sadness, Nananabat told her husband about her uneasy feeling by saying, I am very worried about my father. Who will take care of him? I was the one who was given the responsibility of caring for him, but my only desire is to see my little one again. She searched the face of her husband for an answer. Some warriors are coming with their family to care for your father. They are probably on their way, answered his wife in confidence. Slightly relieved, Nananabat turned her attention to her children. She knew her oldest daughter was alive, but there had been no word of her youngest daughter. She remembered back to a time when her people told her to prepare her heart for the deaths of her daughters, but she never sensed that kind of loss in her heart. She believed her youngest daughter was still alive. She knew it, just the same way she knew she was pregnant with each one of their four little ones long before her body gave evidence of it in the absence of her menstrual period. Nananaba continued to agonize over the decision that was forced upon her by her father. Being his oldest daughter, she was responsible for the care of her father. Suddenly, Nananaba felt guilty. She became keenly aware of the agony her oldest son faced when he chose between the woman he loved and his oldest sister. It had been some time since her son, Nahatahyanapa, had left to return to the soldier's fort to protect his older sister. Her son demonstrated bravery when he obeyed 
and returned to the place where his sister was being held prisoner. In his obedience, he had left a woman at home with a broken heart. There was no carefree laughter in the young woman's eyes or in her heart. Ninanaba had never stopped to think that her daughter-in-law was forced to live without the love of her young husband. Ninanaba admired her son and his new wife, Tsekiznazba. They were willing to put aside their want and need for each other for the sake of their family. She knew her son would become a great leader, just like his father. Ninanaba had so much gratitude for the way her husband had trained his sons. They were true warriors who put others before themselves. Her daughter-in-law was also a woman warrior, of whom Ninanaba could be extremely proud. Ninanaba became mindful of her young daughter-in-law, who was sitting on a rock, looking toward the hills over which her young husband had disappeared. Tsekiznazba was obedient, thoughtful, kind, and respectful toward her elders, but Nananaba sensed much sadness. Tsekiznazba shared with Nananaba that she had lost both of her parents to the white soldiers, and now, once again, she had lost the man she loved to the white soldiers. She told Nananaba that she began to prepare her heart for never feeling love again. Nananaba was so sad that her young daughter-in-law was already experiencing the demanding life that is required of the wife of a Nabeho leader. Nananaba placed her hand over her heart and wondered if her own heart was prepared to never feel love again. She stopped to think about life without love, the kind of love that her husband showered upon her. Ninanaba was asking her husband to put aside his role as a war leader and submit himself to the Anna'i enemy. She looked down at her hands. She tried very hard to think about love without being able to weave again. Her heart became very sad. She was asking her husband to stop being a war leader. Her father refused to give up his leadership as a war leader, but her husband was willing to submit himself to the enemy by leading her to her daughter, her grandson, and her son, and ultimately leading his people to a safer place. Ninanaba loved her children so much her heart was desperate to see them. She was glad their youngest son remained with them, but after thinking about him, she came to realize that although her youngest son showered kindness, love, and caring in great amounts upon her, her son did not seem to be happy as he used to be. It seemed he wanted to make up for his siblings who were absent. Ninanaba wondered what troubled her son. She further wondered if he had seen a woman he would like to make a life with. Ninanaba's head hurt from the realization 
that she had not considered her youngest son's happiness since her daughters had been kidnapped. Ninanaba's heart hurt because of her oversight. With great sadness, she realized she had asked her loved ones to change who they were so that she could be reunited with her children. Now Ninanabot had a choice to make, that of leaving her father and joining her husband or staying with her father and watching her husband leave to protect his people and one day bring their daughters home to her. Ninanabot remembered the many times her mother told her to never neglect her elders. Would the families coming to take care of her father be kind to him, she wondered. After reasoning with her father, Ninanabot realized her father would not change who he was for her. He was a war leader. From the beginning, he was adamant about not joining Ninanabot and her family. He once again vowed to stay in his Hogan, Hogan and take care of his livestock. He told Ninanabot he would stay near her mother. This is your mother's hogan. This is our land. Why are we being forced from it? No one asked the ones they fight with, white soldiers, to move out of their homes. I will stay right here in the midst of our mountains. Our land will watch over me. It knows me. We also know it. I will remain right here. My children will stay right here and live here. We will take care of one another. The elder man knew his Ninanabat's heart belonged to her husband, that without her husband's presence, she would not be able to survive. He had to prepare his own heart for letting her and his grandchildren go. Even before his family left, Ninanabat's father felt loneliness closing in. He watched as the men butchered sheep. The meat was made into jerky. They knew the availability of water was going to be a problem. Water was scarce now that the rope thrower, Kit Carson, and his men had poisoned more watering holes with rotting animal carcasses. The early morning dew was carefully collected and stored, not making a full drink of water, but for now it would have to be sufficient. In sadness, Ninanabot's father watched the family gather the few belongings they had agreed to take. When his family left southward, all life seemed to have been taken with them. He held on to his chest as he watched his daughters and their husbands ride out on their horses. 
A smile crossed his lips when he heard Nanana Bot's goat making its usual hey, 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 hey bleat as the children hurried it along. His sons decided to stay with their father to protect him, but sent their wives and children with Hashkehilnaba. Shadanne Hashkehilnaba Nabahi Donat Ani Yat Eginele. My son in law Hashkehilnaba is a good leader and a good warrior. Deskaigo Bitineyan Haadolel. He will be needed at this place they are being asked to go to, the old man whispered. It was comforting to the old man that his children had such a strong man to lead them. He looked toward the east and prayed, asking the Creator to take care of his children. Lifting his head, he looked around and saw three young families standing near the trees. They had decided to come and stay to take care of their kind leader's father-in-law. The sounds of life will help me to remain strong and healthy, the old man sighed as he returned to his hohan.